Father, we thank you for a time that we've had in your presence, Father God. And, and we just ask, Lord, that we can get, just stay in that place, Lord, as we just give attention. Lord, just give our ear and our hearts to your word this morning, Lord, that we might be able to receive from it. Lord, that revelation knowledge would flow today, Father, because of your word and even because of your, the very presence of your Holy Spirit. We welcome your Holy Spirit. Do a work in us, we ask in Jesus' name, that we might have fresh perspective. Lord God, that you might give us uh, a clear insight, Lord, concerning the things, Father, of uh, your word and, Lord God, your kingdom today. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen. We don't have to go very far to read too far into the Bible to recognize that a war or war and warfare is a major narrative and that the battle between good and evil is a continuous theme. You go into the Bible and it's in there, you know, it's that continuous theme. Uh, you know, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but in Revelation 19, we see he will also come riding. A white horse leading God's army as king of kings and lord of lords. And you know, we also get to ride a white horse, if you read it. And I was going to say, if Cassie was here, we should find out where we can get some good riding lessons. Because we need to get ready, you know, for that, that white horse that we're going to be riding. And the concept that should be clear to us all is that when we became Christians, we didn't just gain an inheritance through Jesus. We didn't just get to be blessed. And now just have to wait around and uh, for that sweet chariot to swing low. You know, that's not uh, the idea. We should all understand that we were actually recruited into God's army. Amen. We sometimes don't necessarily look at our, our part in Christianity as being that, that we're recruited into his army. And uh, we get to ride a ride white horse. We, you know, he's going to be leading the charge and we're with him. You know, the church of God. Amen. Oh, it's okay. Sorry, it's a, my. Um, it's all right. No, no, it's okay. Just it's fine. It'll it'll just go off. That's fine. Some still wonder, you know, when you talk about um, uh, when you talk about uh, uh, warfare, battle, and the biblical the big theme in the Bible. Some still wonder where the devil came from. It's true. Some have still got that question. Where where where, where did he sort of come into things anyway? You've got to understand that the devil's original service to God was an angel called Lucifer in heaven. And uh, he was a high-ranking angel. Uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, very much uh, the Bible says that pride was found in him. I started to think about that a little bit and I thought, well, if God, who knows everything, uh, you know, found pride in him, and started to sort of focus on that, that's where the rebellion started. Because he knew he'd been found out. He knew he couldn't have it in him or in his heart without the Lord knowing about it. It's interesting to, you know, to figure out. And so what he did in response, knowing that there was no way of having that without being recognised as having that, he rebelled. There's a certain amount of our scripture that sort of leads us to think that he actually led a rebellion of a third of the angels of heaven. So how many angels are there in heaven? Well, the Bible says that it's innumerable, actually. Can't get a number on it. Talking about that a little bit as well. And, um, you know, when he didn't want, win, he lost his position and his entitlement to be in heaven. And he and his rebellious angels that sided 
uh, you know, on his side with him were cast out of heaven. Good, I say, good. If you can't go, you know, if you can't flow, you should go. And, uh, and of course, that was, that was the, uh, the, the devil's fate. And, and I, I like uh, particularly Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. And it says there in verse 7 and verse 9, it says, And war broke out in heaven. Let's just read the scripture. Revelations chapter 12 and verse 7 to 9. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out and, uh, and cast into the earth. Uh, cast out that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. What an interesting scripture. What a, what a you know, what a, a, just in one short passage just actually speaks and describes that war that went on in heaven, that rebellion uh, that went ahead. So heaven's evicted get cast out of heaven and into the earth. Eviction. And off they came down into the earth. Next scene, if we're following it, is what? The Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the devil disguised as a serpent taking spiritual ground, establishing an access point. We've got to see this, establishing an access point, a countermeasure to what God the Father was doing in the earth. That's what it was. He's still rebelling, really, when you consider it rebelled in heaven and he's going to rebel on the earth as well and the devil's purpose is always about rebellion against God bringing death and destruction into the earth and of course having authority and influence in the affairs of mankind is high on his priority list having that authority you know and that that ability to influence and we'll see that strongholds of the enemy are merely ground where the devil has established influence and where no resistance is given. That's a stronghold. And we'll talk about that through this series. No submission to God exists in that place. And that's the problem because, you know, we need to be able to submit to God. Look what it says in James 4 and verse 7. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Uh, first step, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You try and resist the devil without being submitted to God and it's not going to work. That's the truth. We've got to be submitted to God. And of course, we do that through his word. We submit to God's ways and his purposes and his will. And when we do, uh, we can resist him. And the Bible says he'll flee from us. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, that's submission. We come to the word of God, we see what the uh, word of God says, we see God's will for our lives and we start to repent, all right? We start to turn away and I'm not just talking about when you become a Christian, I'm talking about as you go on as a Christian. Repentance is a part of what we do because it's a changing of the mind, isn't it? Changing of the mind, changing of our direction. I know I had to as a, a new believer, you know, fairly new believer, I've shared it often before I met my lovely wife. Uh, me and my friends, we were, we were so dedicated to the things of God 
we thought, anyway. <laughs> we were going to one church in the morning, then we go to another one in the evening. Another church. And of course, the real reason we're going to that other church was there were more girls in that other church. And, you know, me and my, uh, me and my uh, um, bachelor friends. And of course, our favourite scripture was, it's not good for a man to be alone. We would encourage one another with that scripture. You know, it's not good for a man to be alone. So we go be looking for those, you know, those eligible young ladies who are looking for the husband of their wife, you know, of their life, you know. And so we're out there, we're looking too. And um, I think I've told you that, you know, in meeting Rosemary, that it, it, meeting Rosemary came directly after I came to the revelation that God knew all the women in all the world. And he knew the one that would be the right one for me. And, you know, I was then realising that he had that under control. I was able to focus on what you should do if you're a single wanting to be married, is focus on being the right person, not trying to find the right person. Because God's got that, that under control. Amen? Focus on being the right one. Amen. So um, we see in the Garden of Adam and Eve, uh, uh, Adam and Eve, uh, Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve succumb to the deception and, of course, misinformation, and Satan takes by default the authority that was meant for man. And it's such an established event that even Satan brings it up as a point of discussion with Jesus later on, which is really quite interesting to watch, and we'll look at this. So Jesus comes to the earth not to give us a Christmas celebration uh, at Christmas time, but to destroy the works of the devil. We have to see that. We have to understand that. Jesus commences his earthly ministry and calling at the age of 30, gets baptised by John in the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit comes upon his life and the Holy Spirit's first task is to lead Jesus up into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. First task. And in that encounter we see that Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, but on earth as a man, all right, we have to say that's uh, if, if you want to look it up, it's called the hypostatic union. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. All right, we have to see that. The Bible says he also that he emptied himself. You see, we, he, he, he stepped down to become a man, but he was still God. There's his perfection right there. He was still God and he had to be perfect. And of course, he came as a man demonstrating for us all that speaking the word of God when the enemy uh, uh, comes to gain influence and take ground is the way to get him to flee. The way, speaking the word of God, saying what God says, saying the, you know, the promises of God, saying and praying the word of God. And of course, the temptation in the wilderness is an example of resisting the devil. It's an example of spiritual warfare. You see, when we get a hold of it and start actually applying it to our lives, you watch what happens. You watch how it, how it changes things. Spiritual warfare is done in prayer. It's, it's submitting ourselves to God's will. It's the commitment to align with and pray God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's that. We start praying that way. We're stepping into spiritual warfare, you see. It's that commitment that brings us into the front line of spiritual warfare. Read Daniel uh, chapter 10. Uh, just for anyone who likes to have a little bit of a reading exercise after the Sunday sermon, write it down. Daniel chapter 10, have a little read there. Another great example of spiritual warfare. Even Michael the archangel 
gets another mention in Daniel chapter 10. You know, comes and joins a battle against the principalities that are over Persia. Comes and, you know, steps in and uh, is fighting in the heavenlies. You know, one of the things that we have to appreciate, and I don't think that we often do as we go about our natural lives, is that angels are real. Angels are real. They are real beings. They're created beings just like us, but just in another realm. You know, and, you know, I should say, if you get to see angels, you'll see that they're just built different, you know. Number one, they're neither male nor female. Now, Michael sounds like a, a guy's name, but uh, angels are neither male nor female. They're created beings. God created them that way, not to procreate. We're made male and female. Why for? Because we procreate, you know. We were to go forth and multiply, fill the earth. Interesting. But angels, they, you know, they were created beings. But they are created. They're not divine creatures. Okay? They're not like God knowing everything. They fulfill the will of the Lord. And they had free will. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, they were able to rebel. They were allowed to do what they wanted to do. They just didn't choose right. Interesting, isn't it? Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, we'll go there with Jesus. And then uh, it, it says there, Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 4, it says, And Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Verse 2, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when he had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered and said, saying, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You know, we pray so often that God's people would get hungry for his word. We, we pray it. We pray it over this congregation. You get a little, you know, stirring in your heart and just really feel like you need something more. You'll find your satisfaction in the word of God. You're going to find that because we're praying that way praying that way over a congregation, that we'd get hungry for God's word and his will in their lives, that they begin to see the power of God and uh, his word, that begin to pray it and say it. In John 15, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you will and it will be done. It will be done for you. You know, it's a divine sequence that we're tapping into, which is what? Prayer, presence, power. Amen. Prayer, presence, power. But we've got to step into prayer. We've got to pray more. Now, sometimes I can be having a day where I sort of maybe feeling a little bit low or, you know, just feeling like, you know, I need just a little bit of a pep up. I'll just spend some time in prayer. I just start praying. I just say, you know, not about any particular thing, but I just start to pray. Talk about, talk about a lift in my spirit straight away. It, it would even make me wonder why I was feeling low, you know. But we need to be a people of prayer. And that's really where this message is taking to us, uh, taking us into. Not only a people of prayer, but a people that know how to do warfare in prayer. Amen. Look what it says in Luke chapter 4 and verse, uh, um, sorry, verse 7. It says, And then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, 
Stop. When was it delivered to him? When did it get delivered to, G, uh, to, to, to the devil? All of this power, all of this authority, when did it get delivered to him? Mm. So I'm hearing a bit of mumbling out there, but I don't get no real distinct answer there. Sorry? Yeah, where? Adam and Eve just handed it over. They were given authority. They were given power in the earth, but they gave it over. They were deceived into doing so, but they did give it over. Amen. For this has been delivered to me. Jesus didn't say, you little liar. Did he? Because it had been delivered to him. And I give it to whoever I wish, he was saying. I know in the uh, 60s and 70s and, and uh, you know, particularly in the 70s where, you know, we would uh, hear in our um, listening to rock bands and, and all those kind of things. You, you would hear occasionally, you know, just as you're reading magazines and stories about those rock bands, about um, some rock bands who made a covenant with the devil. I don't know if any of you heard that, some of that stuff. And it was uh, to make them, uh, uh, Lord will, uh, they, they would say, uh, Lord Satan, we would serve you if you made us famous. How terrible. And they would have, actually, some of them would go and stand on the, uh, a, a pentagram and actually make that covenant with the devil. How awful, you know. And, um, and of course, we see here that he's telling even Jesus that he had this authority and it was given to him. And look what, look what Jesus said. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And Luke highlights for us that the devil gained his authority by default. We go back to original sin, the fall in the garden. We see that it was the devil was there to deceive Adam and Eve out of that, out of what God had given them. He was after their authority and their dominion. We've got to underline that in our thinking as well and appreciate that Jesus came to give it back to us. Amen. Jesus came to give us back authority. We call it the believer's authority, and we can walk in it. We can, we can actually utilize that authority. But we have to do it through the word, and we have to do it as we're led by the spirit as well. That's where it becomes very, very powerful. So dig in deeper. If, you're not, if, you, if you know that you haven't been going deep enough in Christ, go deeper. Because God wants you to have this authority to utilize and, uh, and to pray with. And what was true for Adam and Eve to overcome the devil is true for us if they had just spoken the word of God and said what God said, they would not have fall. That not would have been a fall in the garden. That's something to think about, isn't it? Luke chapter 4, we'll just read that one. It says in verse 9, it says, And then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Oh, we sorry, we've already read that one. So we need to see and understand uh, that Satan and his rebel army of fallen angels we don't know how many there are. We don't know how many there are that are out there. But they're trying to gain influence in the earth. That's their game. That's their pattern. And they do it. You know, they do it through, through uh, deception. They do it through oppression. It's not a new thing, okay? They look for an opportune time. And, um, you know, we, we made the point last week that, that Christians don't get possessed Okay, they can't be because the Holy Spirit's on the inside of us. Christians don't get possessed, but they can get oppressed, you know. And you know, the enemy try and come after you and oppress you and bring you down. 
you know. And uh, this is where the enemy establishes a stronghold if we're not careful, you know. An access point where they can have access to come and bring oppression. And you have to go to prayer to get out of that, to break down that stronghold, to pull that stronghold down. Um, And, you know, it's true. Even Christians can be subject to this. So we also saw last week that the work of the enemy involves working through others who are oppressed of the enemy, who turn their attack on you. Got to watch out for that. And, um, you know, it's a temptation and a seduction that people, even God's people, give in to. You know, they've got to watch that. And uh, I, I just, you know, that, that attempt of the enemy to get influence is actually brought up also in uh, First Chronicles uh, 21, verse 1 to 2. Look what it says here. It says, this is Old Testament, right? It says, now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go, number Israel from Bathsheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. You know, the word moved, that word there moved, I think I've underlined it, uh, moved, it's not underlined, but it is, it is a one that we should focus on. That word means to incite, to allure, to instigate, And it actually means seduced. What an interesting word, moved. And it says that Satan moved David to do something that he wasn't supposed to do. You know, I started to question, what's so wrong with numbering the army? You know, surely, you know, having uh, measurements, not so bad. But of course, if you look at it, it's because he wanted to number the army so he could compare it with the other nations. Oh, we've got a bigger army. There's a little bit of pride in there. And, uh, and, of course, the Lord didn't want him to, to, to follow after that. There's a little bit of uh, self-reliance in that wanting to number, you know, a bit like wanting to, you know, be constantly aware of, you know, how much money you've got stacked up, you know, you know, because it becomes an area of self-reliance. We need to be a people that are reliant on the Lord. Amen. We need to be a people that trust him and not what we've got. Amen. You know, that same word is translated elsewhere as diverted, enticed, induced, persuaded. And get this, it also uh, is translated as misled, moved, that, that one word moved. Jesus said of the devil that he was a liar from the beginning. His chief, one of his chief weapons is deception. If he can get misinformation into your hands... And you run with it, he can, he can get you running, running in the wrong direction. You know, the capacity to deceive and move people into something uh, uh, is something to notice, especially when Jesus called it out. Look at, look at it uh, in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 and verse 31, and it says in verse 33, And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes. And that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke this message quite frankly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But Jesus, turning and looking at his disciples, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you do not have 
in mind the things of God, but the things of man. <laughs> I don't know about you, but if I'd have been in that little group and Jesus had turned to me and said, get behind me, Satan, I don't know, I would have been feeling pretty punished. You know, poor Peter. You know, he's thinking that he's showing all his zeal and how enthusiastic he is for Jesus and I'll protect you no matter what, Jesus. And Peter was doing this a fair bit, you know, through his ministry time. He was jumping in there and showing his zeal. And, and, uh, and Jesus lets him know that actually he's just being moved by the devil. How about that? You know, we can conclude from Scripture, absolutely, as we look through these Scriptures, that the devil is very real. Demons are fallen angels at work rebelling against God's purposes and that demons will work through people, misleading people, even Christian people in the church. And Ephesians 6 tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not. What does that mean? It means don't wrestle with them. Don't need to. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That's what we're called to. When we encounter that kind of thing, we need to go to work and do spiritual warfare. Pull it down. We'll get onto that. We'll see and we'll understand that we've got weapons that we can use. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 11 in this particular case, and we'll read on, but it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or methods of the devil. We looked at this last week. There is that word wile. It's also translated tactics. He'll put a tactic in place. They're very tactical, the enemy. He doesn't know everything, but he sits and watches and can get tactical. It says, it goes on to say, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Why does it say we do not wrestle against flesh and blood? And we, we, we just need to get this, you know, very clear. Because we shouldn't make the mistake of retaliation in the flesh and miss the opportunity to fight in the spirit. Ever got into a situation where, you know, it was the wrong part of you that rose up. I've been there. Been there before and I go, no, nah, that just doesn't work. Doesn't help. You know, we fail to do spiritual warfare. Strongholds are built by the enemy in any place where we repeatedly let the enemy take ground. Where we let him do it. Look what the Apostle Paul said in uh, Ephesians 4, just quickly. Just a couple of last scriptures to go, verse 26 to 27, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And then it says, Nor give place to the devil. You know, that word place is the Greek word topos. Okay? And we, we, we get it from the word, you know, we, we use it in the word topography. You know, topography, speaking of the study of maps. And ground, you know, the word is used in the Bible to describe, to describe a place, a region, a, a seat, and of course, even an opportunity. Even an opportunity. And you know, give the devil and his workers no ground. Don't give them anything to work on or go with. 
In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 30, he says, Therefore, and this is the answer, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. It talks about standing. You know, the armor includes our very best weapon, which is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I tell you, what, what, how, does, how is that different from anything else? Because it's the sword of the spirit. It's the sword, as one translation says, that the spirit yields, wields, sorry, wields. The sword that the spirit wields. In other words, it's the very word of God that, uh, that he places in your heart. That is the sword of the spirit. That very strong word. But notice that it's the first piece of armor, I mentioned it earlier, is the belt of truth. First piece of armor. Why? Because the best defense against a lie, the best defense against deception, the best defense against misinformation is what? Truth. That's the first piece of armor that we put on. Some of you who maybe would like to just write down or remember Psalm 119. Uh, just go and memorize all of Psalm 119 and it will do your spirit so much good. Because it will, <laughs> it's a big one. <laughs> and if you want to stand up here next week, we'll give you a book or a prize or a present if you can memorize it and quote the whole thing. But I tell you, what a great, what a great psalm to memorize, Psalm 119, because it's all about the word, all about God's word and that we should know and have tucked in our hearts and lives. And just, just finishing off this morning, last scripture, Ephesians 6, 14 and 17, it says, Wherefore, stand therefore, having girded your weight, sorry, where am I up to? I've got just a little bit extra there. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. What does it say? Stand. There's a little bit of persistence. There's a little bit of resistance needed. You know, when we start speaking the word, don't just speak it once or twice and go, well, nothing happened and give up. You know, wake up the next day and do it again. And you wake up the next day. And even before you go to bed at night, do it again. Speak the word of God until you start to see a shift in the situation. It says, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You know, just as an overview, let's consider that the armour of God represents our battle dress and our weaponry. And that each piece is topical truth. It's topical truth. And, and, and that we could, we could even, just as our own private study time, start looking into that. What does the Bible say about truth? What does the Bible say about how I should be steadfast in the truth? And that we can find in scriptures, you know, and, and, that, that relate to those topical truths. And then actually start to renew our mind to them. What a great tonic for your spiritual man, you know. Just take a drink of that every day. You know, the word of God and the spirit as he begins to real, reveal truth. There's actually uh, six topics. Uh, the topics are truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. These are all topical truths that make up our armor in which we can stand against the enemy with. 
we need to have these six truths on like we put on armour. It's protective. It's what will allow us to stand in the spiritual fight and with our spiritual enemies. Amen? You know, we um, often uh, find ourselves uh, in battle. You know, and, and that can be day to day or it can be, you know, maybe a big event in your life where you find yourself having to do spiritual battle. But these are truths that we can have on all the time, which just give us that readiness to fight a good fight. I don't know about you, but I found that the, the good fight is the one that you win. You know, and Jesus has given us everything we need to win and even against fallen angels and the demonic world. And I encourage you, you know, if you haven't sort of stepped into that area very much, you know, today's, today's message is very much an opening, or I should say an awareness of what's available to us. It's not to scare us, it's to prepare us. You know, so that we could step up into those areas. I tell you, a prayerless church is a powerless church. And we've, we've always in this church put prayer as an absolute priority. You know, absolute thing that we should continue to give ourselves to it. And, uh, and as we do, we've seen fruit, we've seen results from it. And um, we've seen people overcome. We've seen people transformed. We've seen lives changed. And uh, I tell you, it's something that's a joy to our hearts. But we know it's because God's given us all that we need to win. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word today, Lord. And Lord, it's an it's exercise in us, Father. God. What, it, what it's producing in us, Lord God, we ask. Your blessing today, Father. Lord, upon the word received, Father. Lord, that we would go out from here, Lord God, with a fresh understanding, a fresh revelation, perhaps, Lord, of, uh, of what it is to do warfare. And Father, what it is that you've done for us in Christ Jesus. So Lord, we thank you again today, Lord God. We thank you that as we go, your Holy Spirit walks with us and even stirs within our hearts, Lord God, those truths that we need to make application of in our daily lives. Lord, help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord God, to, to walk into truth, Father God, to step it out. Father, to walk your pathways, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.